0: And we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call Shift Your Mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Paige Thomas has more than 25 years of experience in the retail industry with an extensive off-price background and a passion for e-commerce. She also loves to think about customers and how to make the customer experience as successful as possible. She most recently served as president and CEO of Saks Off 5th leading the business from February 2020 through February 2023. And under Page's leadership, Saks All-Fifth evolved the business operating model and strategy to focus on the digital experience. In 2021, Saks All-Fifth's e-commerce business was established as a separate entity with a $200 million equity investment led by Insight Partners. Page was named president and CEO of Saks Off Fifth to continue to build on its momentum and growth trajectory. Prior to Saks, Paige spent eight years at Nordstrom, where she launched NordstromRack.com and led the integration of Outlook. Earlier in her career, Paige held merchandising leadership positions at Kohl's, which she actually references in today's conversation, and Fred Meyer. When it really comes down to it, Paige cares deeply about leadership. She cares about her values, and she really wants to make an impact and inspire women and leaders in general. So here is Paige Thomas. Paige, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where I thought we'd start is with the present in mind. So I think it was about two months ago or so you decided to resign from your post as CEO of Sachs Off Fifth and I read some stuff on LinkedIn that you posted about leaving but I figured we'd we'd fast forward and and take us to where you're at right now how's it going going from this public facing position and and title and you were in it for about 3 years to trying to figure out what's next talk about what you're doing and and what that experience has been like for you
1: yeah for, well, first and foremost, Brian, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to spend some time um, and and share and discuss today. Um, you know, as you said, there's there's not many times you kind of find yourself in this place that says, "What's next?" the 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 busy and sort of you know world just is constantly moving. Um, and I've had you know been very lucky to have a pretty incredible career. Um, and been heads down in just delivering, you know, my role responsibilities, giving back for, as a leader. And then, you know, as you said, um, about three months ago, found myself saying, "Wow, okay, what's next?" So, I will tell you that in the you know first couple of weeks, I was like, "Wow, I don't know what to do on Mondays." It was actually almost depressing. Um, Because in retail, Monday is such a big, important, critical day to reflect back on performance. What's been surprisingly interesting to me is the last, you know, 45 days being really self-reflective of who I am, what my contributions are, what I want to do next with regards to um, leadership and impact. And so, you know, one of the things that I've been really working on is my pitch, the pitch of who I am and what I can contribute, because it's as much for me now, in particular at this point in my career, to have a match for me personally and professionally with an organization and vice versa. Um, And so that's, that's where I'm at.
0: So the obvious question is, who are you? Like, what is that pitch?
1: Yeah. So I've had this incredible diverse diverse retail background. And I don't know that I even sort of thought about that while I was in it, Um, because I sort of always went to these next high growth opportunities. And so what I've found is who I am is this really diverse retailer that loves to drive growth and has an incredible proven track record and said maybe a little bit differently is that I'm not this traditional path that I went down one lane and stayed in it. And so what I love is the idea of impact and growth and agility
0: agility what do you mean by that
1: Agil- so let me give you an example and this this is part of that self reflection i took my first um president role you know to kind of t- take the whole big thing run all business functions i grew up as a merchant i took that first role with saks fifth in february of 2020 and by march 18th of 2020 We were shutting down over a hundred stores and figuring out how we were going to keep the business moving forward. So brand new role of things that I had to learn, people that I had to connect with from a leadership perspective, right? Because people are following you or looking to you, right, for direction and clarity. And you really hadn't hardly worked with them. And at this, and you know, probably one of the biggest you know, elephants in the room is, by the way, there's a global pandemic that nobody had ever navigated through to have a play, what I call a playbook, your toolkit that you reference so that you can figure out where you're going to go next. So agility to me means all those things being thrown at you and you are navigating your way through an ambiguous environment successfully.
0: It's interesting because the other word you highlighted was growth. And I'm thinking about February, 2020. I would imagine there are a lot of businesses going through that come March. Like, Hey, we just got to survive. Like we don't know what the next three months are going to hold, let alone the next three years. And so how do you pair your ability to grow while also focusing on, being nimble or agile enough to make sure that what you're building is sustainable. Cause I find a lot of my clients are big into growth mode, but they don't always focus on sustainability. And then I have other clients that are really focused on sustainability, but don't always take the risks necessary to grow. So can you talk about how you pair those or how you think about growth and sustainability?
1: Yeah. So, No, I think it's a really great question. One of the things that was super interesting to me in that role during a global pandemic, and I've talked about this actually often is there was a real to me obvious opportunity to do things differently and oftentimes when a sh- you know you've got a big ship going down um <laughs> the river and you're trying to turn it you can tweak it um what the global pandemic I believe, gave the opportunity to actually really think about the customer and how you were going to drive change that, to your point, was sustainable. So it gave opportunities to test and react. It gave opportunities to maybe make bolder decisions than you normally would because the downside already existed. And what tends to happen, I believe, in probably not just retail, but in life, is people fear the downside and therefore minimize the risk or opportunities that they're going to chase. And for me, the reason this connects to growth for me is I've had some pretty unbelievable opportunities and I'll use Kohl's as one of the examples. Culturally, what I loved about that organization Is that we used to have this mantra that said nobody could say this is how we did it because we were doing things that had never been done before. For example, opening 95 stores on one day. That hadn't been done in retail to actually coordinate marketing, merchandising, product, construction, you know, all the things that have to come with that so that you can literally one day open your doors coast to coast And say, welcome. And those were examples that we would go into, you know, conference rooms and whiteboard and say, hey, how are we going to make this happen from a future back perspective? So while I said I didn't have a toolkit going into the global pandemic, I searched sort of in my toolkit to say, what are things that we had done in the past that we hadn't done before? And how did we solve the complex problem?" And how did we think about it in a sustainable, growing way so that when the doors open up again, the stores, we could be proud and drive growth that was sustainable. So you had to model all those things. And for sure, how were we going to drive growth as much as possible in an e-commerce business, which was the only way people could shop?
0: Yeah. And you mentioned e-commerce, so off Fifth, for those that are not aware They have their online website, which is saxallfit.com, but then they also are in more than 100 stores across the US and Canada where they're selling um, their their fashion into other stores. And as someone who's definitely not very fashion conscious, uh, I am curious about retail. And obviously, it's an interesting time in the world when you're talking about Kohl's opening up 95 stores in a day. I would imagine a lot of retail companies are not doing stuff like that, um, in 2023. Uh, can you talk a little bit about retail and does retail, do you think of retail companies as companies that need to be thinking about more survival or need to be thinking about growth so that they can survive and, and how we sort of pair together what you were just talking about from a sort of high level view. Like how do you, how do you see retail in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years?
1: Yeah, it's a a wonderful question and and so relevant, honestly, for me right now, because this connects back to who am I and what organization do I want to be a part of and how do I think about it? And so when I think about retail today, it is a challenging industry. And what makes it challenging is that the, you know, the accessibility to product at amazing prices is really at consumers' fingertips. And you could use, you know, from the obvious, you know, Amazon of the world that has come in and changed everyone's life completely, um, to large retail, to very unique um, forms of retail. And so the way that I think about retail today is it's absolutely critical that you have a unique differentiation. It has become commoditized and so accessible to customers that if you aren't really clear on who your customer is and what pain points you're trying to solve for them, I think it becomes very difficult to succeed. Ironically, I've, you know, in the last month, because it's the it's the quarterly end, it's first quarter end for most retailers, so there's a bunch of analyst reports out there. And Brian, that's what's been really, really clear. Those that are winning are speaking very much about their customers, how they're driving engagement to their customers through e-commerce and digital platforms, from a mobile app to you know in-store experiences. Um, that is super critical. But the market is winning. You can't be bland.
0: It's interesting I, if i think about my area i live in bethesda maryland and we've got some high-end retail shops and a lot of what's going in now are these online brands that then are going to retail i think of bonobos for example um is doing that and they're a whole different story for another day but um like i'm wearing a viore t-shirt and i find their stuff to just be really comfortable and Yet they have two different types of sweatpants that I own. And one of them are like the most comfortable pants I own. And the other is pretty comfortable. And when I go on their website, I can't uh, distinguish between the one that is the most comfortable pants and the one that's not. And so I'm excited they're actually opening up a store in Bethesda. And I'm going to go and I'm going to feel it. I'm going to know and feel that experience and so that's how I'm sort of thinking about that's a differentiator for me to be able to feel the product um, is something I can't do online as of yet. Is that sort of what you're thinking about when it comes to differentiations in the brand that then you need the retail store to uh, create an experience for me that I then um, want to go there and feel it and touch it and, and, and feel good correct.
1: About? Yeah. Two things resonated and I know we don't want to have a Viore um podcast but their stuff
0: I, is awesome and they're not But I gotta
1: take one, I gotta take one minute because you know uh in my Nordstrom experience we we launched them at Nordstrom and you want to talk about a pitch that the two founders came in and and told their pitch which was two football players um that grew up in Southern California as surfers. And so they really understood the criticalness of performance and athletic, but wanted the comfort and lifestyle that is inherent in surf brands, right? If you think about those two visuals coming together, surf and football, there's not a lot of things that, but that's what created Viori. And they um, have skyrocketed in their performance and growth to the exact thing that we were discussing as a unique differentiator they don't look or act like any other brand and so they held their own and been committed to sort of their you know core competency um and and they're winning the the second thing that resonates is is exactly I believe, you know, many people will say, is brick and mortar dead? How many articles have we read? Is brick and mortar dead? No, people still want to shop, touch and feel to your point. The other interesting fact that many people probably don't know is that in almost every Omni retailer, which is stores and online is the definition of Omni, 50 to 60% of the returns from an online purchase come in store. So it's not that the customers don't want to go in-store. Otherwise, they. why would so many returns go, go back in-store? And many of them do convert. It's It's really, you got to think about it with regards to the customer journey. I want to shop when I want, how I want, on my terms. And if you create that opportunity for me, then you actually will do more business by having both. There's no question.
0: I want to go back to you in this transitional time. You wrote on LinkedIn about leaving Sachs, cherishing the past while never looking back on what the future will hold with the next endeavor. And then you started our conversation today about not knowing what you're going to do on a Monday. So, how have you been spending your time um, over the last three months? What have you been doing? What has gotten you excited? Take us to this space that you've been in, and and what have you what have you been doing with your time?
1: Yeah, so first and one of the first things that I needed to do, which I am not good at because of my career trajectory and and I guess my ambition for for drive. Um I really actually took almost the entire month of April off. And so that first month I was probably anxious, a little unsettled, what was that going to look like? Felt like I needed to, you know, kind of sort of start my outreach. And then I got to a place that said, you know what, I am, I'm actually just going to do me. Um, and so that was really some solid self-reflection time um, on the, uh, my kids are all on the West coast. Um, I love to hike and be outdoors. So it gave me some time to be on the West coast between Washington and Oregon and and really kind of reflect back to my roots and and what was important. That's, that was key for me because as I came back to New York City in the month of May, I've been incredibly productive, incredibly busy, and yet not—I'm I'm not in a space that I'm determining exactly what I'm going to do next, and that's what's been interesting. So I've been studying um, retail. And brands. As I said, I've been listening to all the calls over the last couple of weeks. There's a few more this week. I've been networking with both people that I trust from a mentorship perspective, along with some of their network. And that's a bit of a rabbit hole. It's super interesting to me, right? The network to the network to the network. And this person introduces you to that person and that person. And that's been really interesting to me that there is a much broader retail world than probably I have um, really thought about. And that's important for me right now in this, in this phase to really say what, what do I want to do? Because I've leaned a little bit more on what I call the traditional retail side. And then I think that, the you know, the, the final thing I've been doing is like I said, really refining my my pitch and looking at the one thing I probably didn't say, I've been really looking at leaders and what their career path was and what has defined them. In particular, probably some female leaders. And so that's been interesting where I've been outreaching through my own network to actually just spend time with really strong, powerful female leaders to learn from them and network.
0: Is there one who really stands out and that resonated with you and inspired you?
1: I I don't know that I would say there's just one because I think they all have so many things to offer. Um, And, you know, wanting to be, you know, appropriate to where they're at in the organizations that that they're at as we've been going down this journey of, of mentorship. Um, I think it's probably most appropriate to to say that what I'm learning is the you know, confidence in yourself and validation for my agility and experiences is actually really valuable in the retail environment. And what I think is a continued opportunity, um, particularly for female leaders, is to lift one another up. The story that I often tell, Brian, this might be a, a lot of information. The story that I often tell is that males are really good at going on the golf course, sharing their stories, networking thinking about new opportunities, introducing people to one another because they walk into a boardroom and they see 14 of each other. That doesn't often happen with women. So I relate a lot of my kind of leadership stories to sports. Um, And what happens, and I think of my career as the art of winning. And what happens with females is they have a tendency to walk into a boardroom and they see one seat with a female and they box out. Do you have the visual of that? Right. I'm boxing out. Cause I want that one role. More it's
0: territorial, more threatened, more, much more, I need to protect my turf. Mama, mama bear probably.
1: Yes. Instead of walking into the boardroom and seeing the other female And your peers and saying, let's go get four of those chairs. How are we going to get that done? And what are we going to do next? So that's probably when you ask me the question about, is there anyone in particular female that stands out? No. What's most consistent about these really successful females that I've been networking in is that they're lifting each other up.
0: Mm. You know, and that's
1: been really good.
0: There's something interesting that I'm thinking about, especially, you know, the industry that you're in, a lot of women want to work in it. And uh, so fashion is something that's sexy. It's cool. It's it's unique. It's interesting, uh, especially for a lot of women. So I'd imagine, especially when you're in a position like what you were in at SACS, You're getting a lot of phone calls from people whose daughter is graduating from college and is interested in working and they want to go to New York City and work. Um, And I would imagine there's been a lot of mentoring that you've done, whether you're at Kohl's or Nordstrom or wherever it is that you are. But it strikes me that the last three months, you are taking more of a mentee role than a mentor role. And I'm interested to learn what that's been like for you.
1: Oh, that's, that's good. Um, I don't know that I saw it that way, but I think your articulation is completely accurate. Um. Well, two things. One, what's been interesting, everything that you just said has um, happened for me in my career of mentorship and how I think about building a leadership team, how I think about building my starting five how I think about the role that I should have in, in giving back. Um, that's been absolutely accurate. And what's been interesting in this exit, which I'll, I'll get to your more direct question is I've had people read, reach out that have said, can we still stay in touch? And I find that fascinating that they would think that we wouldn't stay in touch. Right. And so um, that's given me some uh, kind of my own personal advice to reach out to people to let them know I'm I'm still here and I'm available for you, right? And also given me, I guess, the comfort level, um, a bit of vulnerability that as I've connected to these other key women in leadership roles at really big companies, to be vulnerable and say, "Hey, I'm in transition, and I'd really love." to network, if for nothing else, to connect with strong women um, so I can continue to learn. And so maybe vulnerability is a bit of the the direct answer that playing this role um, because it's not me the one driving the insight or advice or guidance um, that I'm actually asking for it.
0: Yeah. And that opens up a huge, interesting conversation because as you're painting the picture of the boardroom and boxing out, I would imagine vulnerability is often not what people will lean into in that situation. Because if you're vulnerable, to use Brene Brown's defini- definition, it's emotional exposure, uh, emotion, women, there's a whole <laughs> another can of worms that we could talk about in that. But Uh, if you're in that space of sort of scarcity rather than abundance, and you're thinking there's that one seat, I have to protect my turf. You're probably not necessarily going to be raising your hand and asking others for help because you're supposed to be the expert in the room and, you know, you're supposed to know what you're doing. And so for me, at least when I've been a mentee, uh, or a mentor, there's so many lessons to learn on both sides of that coin. And of course, anyone that's mentored anybody in their life knows that when you mentor someone, you also become the mentee because you start to listen to yourself a little more, you start to get their perspective. and you can go into both of those roles in and out and in and out of those roles. But for you, especially in this space right now, where for the last three years, you were supposed to have the answers, especially during a critical pandemic and a turbulent time in your industry, uh, you had to have the answers. Now it's almost like, hey, let's go learn and ask a lot of questions. And I actually think we probably need both of those all the time is the guess. But I would imagine there's been an interesting experience for you that comes from asking questions and learning um, and being open and vulnerable to saying, hey, I need your help. So I take us over the last three years and what that was like sitting in that chair. And then over the last three months, what it's been like as you start to ask more questions, maybe then be looked at to make the decisions and give guidance.
1: Right. So for me, you know, when I literally remember the day we were shutting down the stores and having, you know, stand-up Zooms on a daily basis to say, okay, what, what financial decisions did we need to make? What people decisions were we going to need to make? What safety decisions were we going to need to make? Like literally the only thing that you could, it was it was pure exhaustion from complex problem solving and making decisions with speed to quickly be agile and contemplate pros and cons and then go. And And while that might sound repetitive, what's so important in this is that as I was interacting with the executive committee of a larger portfolio, right? So everybody has a boss and there's art because SAC's office is part of a, a larger company. I'm literally the last most senior executive hired and I'm on a zoom call as the only female. So I had to be, you know, I'm thinking I got to show, I got to show up. Right. Um, and how am I going to show up? And how am I going to connect and be come across strong, intelligent, high integrity, strong business decisions and, um, because this organization didn't have 10 years of a track record with me, right? I mean, they had my resume, but didn't have that. And so there was an incredible amount of pressure for, for me personally and professionally when I think back to kind of that that beginning. Um, as I sort of fast forward through the three years, you start to build that track record and you gain confidence, right? And you gain um, you start to have a little bit more, for, for me, some of my personal side come through and those exposures and and I my authentic self showing up a, a little bit more. Um, and you get, you know, you understand who your allies are internally. You continue absolutely lean on your mentors externally. That was the most critical thing for me in my first six to 12 months. All of my previous mentors were absolutely in my life picking up the phone saying, hey, how should I think about this? Because you didn't kind of have that in, internally. Um, fast forward over time, I, I felt like I really built that up. I built up the track record of success. The performance was great, led the transaction, raised $200 million. You know, we had done, we had survived the furlough of individuals. We were hiring everybody back and then some we were investing in, you know, capital, um, technical roadmaps, like we were what I call we were rocking and rolling. Um, and so you get kind of pretty comfortable in your your work and your vision, building out the team. Um, and I guess, like I said, kind of rolling in the in the art of winning, which I, I love. Um, and then life. Twists and turns, right? Which you don't always know kind of what's right around that that bend. And you know, I think I said it in my uh LinkedIn, while it was, you know, not a hundred percent what I expected, it was simultaneously, I had a lot of clarity in the exit of Off Fifth. And and um it was the right time. And now when I think about taking that time to really reflect. Um, and be present with myself is the journey that's sort of gotten me to where I am that is incredibly comfortable and excited for what's next. And I feel like I'm in the driver's seat and I get to choose.
0: Is that a new feeling for you?
1: It's a new feeling of confidence. Yes. Here's how I would say it. I actually, one of the stories I was telling the other day Is that when I look back five years ago, as I've been practicing this sort of, you know, I keep referencing it as the pitch. Five years ago, I don't know that I recognized some of my capabilities and um, impact that I brought to organizations. Like I undervalued my experience. And so as I've sort of gone through, particularly, I'll use the e-commerce business as an example. When I joined Saxol Fifth, I started talking about the e-commerce dashboard. And there's all these really important metrics. We call them right KPIs, the most key important metrics. And the t- some of the team members were like, we're not even looking at this. I don't, I don't know. So the discovery in this journey of three years and where I'm at particularly in the last three months is I have an incredible experience that I can add to this industry. And I undervalued it in myself. I've always had confidence. It was a different level of confidence that gets me to this place that I'm really comfortable where I'm at.
0: We've had people on the podcast talk about this concept of exploring or exploiting and that adults, Tend to get into their career and then they exploit their knowledge. So you gain all this knowledge of retail and the ins and outs of it. And that's what you do. And yet, children, and I know you're a mother of three, children are really great at exploring. And I was with my kids this weekend and they're just exploring nature and exploring life and learning through exploring. And I'm thinking about you as I'm thinking about this concept because perhaps your career up until now has been largely like exploiting your knowledge and your wisdom. And perhaps there's times where you even have to be territorial and uh, climb the ladder, so to speak, and you've been in big corporate organizations. And so there does need to be exploitation. And it sounds like right now you're enjoying and you're present with this idea of exploring. And um, does that capture sort of where you're at as we have this conversation today?
1: Most definitely what what resonates for me on that too, and, and this is kind of an interesting journey for me in my personal and professional career, I completely agree that there was this sort of heads down, exploiting, growing, right? The, the, the vision of getting to the next level and the next level and, and what was possible. At the same time, you know, many people have said to me, a particularly young talent, How did you do it? How were you a mom of three and balance, you know, this work life? What's interesting for me, because my kids are older, so I have 27, 24, and 22, they actually become pretty independent, right, as they get older. So when I think about the last, let's say, six to eight years, I've probably done even less exploring. The answer that I used to give people so often about how do you balance it is that children actually gave me the greatest perspective. It forced me to be present when I got home from the office to do to have dinner and to do the bath and the reading. And then would I often go back to work late at night? Yes. And then as they grew up and, and you know, Snapchat and Vine and all these sort of social media, it was like it gave me so much perspective on the real customer lens, right? Because my children are living it, or I'm at a basketball game with other parents. And so the perspective that children and as a mother gave me in retail, I believe kept me closer to customers and exploring. Interestingly enough though, I don't think that has been the case for me over the last six to eight years because I've been predominantly, you know, heads down in my job.
0: Yeah. Uh, There's something else coming up for me, which is you started this by talking about you're getting clarity on your pitch and what you can bring to the table and what you can offer. And in researching you for this conversation, there's this beautiful, uh, I think it was video that showed that at SACS, you all rewarded and acknowledged team members who exemplified the organization's core values. And um, so you were connecting the core values of the company to your people. And as I'm hearing you talk, I'm hearing growth, agility, diversity, all these these words. But what I'm not sure is who are you from a value standpoint? And maybe those are values. But if you were to describe yourself in terms of values and who you are in terms of values, just like – Sachs has their core values. How would you describe your core values?
1: That's a great question. The the way that I think of myself um, from a core value perspective is I am a really authentic, uh, loyal leader. And what comes with that, that's, so critical for me, and this I've been um, pretty transparent as well. Transparency, probably another core value, um, is the importance of diversity and equity. Um, And so when I think about my role as a leader, I've been absolutely described as authentic and trustworthy. I've absolutely been described as, um, you know, thinking about building a diverse team that allows individuals to show up as their authentic self. Um, And that I, you know, comes from many, many places in my, you know, sort of I I give my parents probably the greatest credit (laughs) and yet um, so many mentors, you know, gave me that opportunity um, as well. So I think about just the the true importance of diverse and, and equal work environment for everybody to show up and contribute and have impact.
0: When I've coached clients that are in big corporate entities, they often talk about, they can say that their, you know, values are X or Y. But at the end of the day, like the bottom line is what's going to drive decision making. And uh, I find this look it's I think it's in every business, but especially in these big organizations, uh big corporate organizations. you've been in these big corporate organizations and authentic, loyal, transparent, honest. those things are great. but you even said earlier like, hey, we had to make really hard decisions, especially as the pandemic hit, you know, do you lay people off? What do you do? And I'm curious for you loyalty i mean that that's got to be one that can get in the way for you from sometimes making the decisions that are necessary for the company or you mentioned even a boss or a parent company or whatever it might be how do you still live your values when decisions might be working against those values
1: so i have i have not well, let me just say this. I I actually don't think those things are in conflict. I think that you can ladder them together, which is about being transparent, that says we are going to furlough people, right? We are going to be transparent and open with regards to where people are at in their career. I always say none of my direct reports were ever surprised By a review because I'm an authentic coach every single day. That doesn't, loyalty doesn't, in my mind, doesn't translate to you're nice, right? And you have, you know, like that you, because you know somebody, you're going to ensure that they have a job for the rest of your life. If we use this exact example. Loyalty to me is the opportunity to be the leader, be transparent, give people the opportunity for success, but it's theirs to own, right? I have to be my biggest advocate as does others. And so if I'm transparent and honest, then the loyalty actually is very, very easy um, because they, they, they come together. And, and I haven't found myself in that conflict. What I will say, and this was, you know, this was a really critical space for me early in my career as a mom with three biracial children. Oftentimes when I was at work, right, you would run into things. People would see me as a white female. And there would be conversations that would not be representative of authentic, diverse, and equitable. And what I found critical to my, for me and my core values, which has put me in a different place as a leader as well, I couldn't leave the office and come home and have two different core values, right? They were the same. And that became very clear to me much earlier in who and where I was going to work for and what their values were and how they showed up from a diversity and equity perspective.
0: You mentioned your kids being biracial. What has that taught you about race, especially in our country, and how that plays a role in our society?
1: Well, this could be an entirely (laughs) (laughs) different. podcast Brian it is race does not go away it is part of everything we do that's what I mean by my discovery is that from children at school to the work environment to you know walking down the street to things that you see on the news there it's not optional We have to reconcile and make progress on this topic every single day in every touchpoint. And I find myself at times frustrated um, and put in, you know, sort of tough positions on these topics, um, particularly in, in the career world. But I can't separate the two of them because it's my home.
0: Yeah, your tone and body language, to me, changed as you started talking about that. And on your LinkedIn homepage, there's this sign in the background banner that says, fuel your passion. And I could hear your passion start to come out for these causes. And uh, so I, I'm curious, uh, how does this fuel how you want businesses to operate when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, and talk about the fuel that is maybe lit inside of you and and how you're following that passion in what you're doing today.
1: Yes. So for me, um, you know, what I would probably the the most consistent is that in every organization I've worked for, I'm the first to raise my hand and say, I want to be on that committee. (laughs) So how can I impact change that's really directly connected to policy. That's been one of my learnings. So how we think, how companies think about recruiting, how they think about, you know, simple things as requiring a four-year college degree or not. Um, how you think about the development, you know, my experience at Saks Fifth, we actually relaunched our core values built by the leadership group. This was not a tops down words on a piece of paper. Uh, But I think the, the most impactful for me is to be in an organization to get the diverse employees at the table to drive policy, to add ERGs, which are communities, to ensure that when you think about your full operating model, think of even supply chain. How do you support and represent the communities that you serve? That's not easy to do. And I believe that that is a responsibility. That's when I think about kind of the corporate role and space. There's a whole nother, in my mind, leadership space, which gets back to mentorship, right? When I think about every week, which is usually on Sundays, FaceTiming my kids, and no different than that as a mentor to say you can be whatever you want to be right and the passion which is a lot of what you talked about you know you 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 brought up here is i believe that if you chase your passion you will inherently be successful at it
0: all right let's stay there i was going to go in a different direction but i want to stay there cuz i'm thinking about my kids and As an adult, I'm as a dad. I'm I'm further behind you, so I'm gonna pick your brain and and hopefully you'll you'll give me some advice here. I was talking to a dad about this this weekend, because to me, I have a six and seven year old, and they might be passionate about video games, or they might be passionate about you know a fifteen year old might be passionate about smoking weed, um you know a a thirteen year old might be passionate about um you know cursing i mean i like it's when i hear follow your passion and by the way billy joel was my commencement speaker and he just said do what you love love what you do and like that was his thing and while i i certainly am doing work that i'm passionate about this podcast is is something that i'm passionate about that i enjoy doing i i think it's interesting as a parent to think about what's my role in in nurturing their nature and what they are passionate about and by the way, all those things like cannabis is becoming legalized, uh, cursing, maybe they could go on and be a comedian, uh, you know, uh, video games. There's a whole industry of video games. So certainly those things could be nurtured. But I see this a lot in sports. Like I'll have people say, well, my eight year old just loves soccer. So we're going to put them in, you know, three day a week soccer practice in 10, 10 months, a year, they're going to play soccer. And I'm going to, as long as they're passionate about it, I'm going to help them get to where they want to go. And I'm like, Well, your eight-year-old doesn't really know what's good for them. Uh, That's part of your job as a parent is also to tell them, hey, that's too much, or maybe you should have some different experiences, and you can explore instead of exploit the soccer. So I'm on a little bit of a rant right now, but I want you to just sort of maybe double click on this and share your perspective as a mom um, on how you're nurturing your kids' nature, especially since they are independent now and they have left the nest and you probably can guide them, but they're going to make their own decisions, both good and bad, that are going to shape how they see the world. How do you think about that when it comes to passion?
1: Yes. So I'm definitely going to sound like a mom here. (laughs) I'm just putting that that out there. But I want to start with, um, my father. And I remember, um, you know, we grew up in a, you know, not the way that my kids grew up. So that was something for me to have to contemplate a lower socioeconomic, what, you know, we had access to all those sorts of things. And so there was a very clear, um, perspective from my father about being productive to and the reality of supporting yourself as you grew up. And so oftentimes I I still remember, you know, I was like couldn't wait for the fashion magazine to come out every September and you know, all my friends this is I'm aging myself had, you know, Duran Duran and Rob Lowe posters up on their Bedrooms that I was like making poster boards that were called concept boards. They were like the, the floral board and the blue board. And they were all from fashion magazines. Simultaneously, I was really, really good at school, particularly math. So my hear my father coming in my bedroom like you cannot make a living in shopping and cosmetics. Right. Like you need to go to school. You've got to, you know, you're good at math. Like, you know, he was really sort of trying to drive to what that what that future was. What I learned from that, though, which is where the passion comes in for me and and this beautiful story that I tell about about my father as I got older and he said to me, clearly, you proved me wrong. You can make a living in shopping and cosmetics. That's where the passion was. But the other component to ensure that you could support yourself, just the reality of being productive is is what has led me specifically with my children and often the conversations that I have with parents. And what I mean by that is for sure you've touched on it. What is the experiences? How do you force them to explore and try new things whether, you know, I said to my kids you always have to do a summer camp. You always, you know, I need you to, you know, try swimming whatever it was just so that you would ensure that they had enough of those experiences. It never was a direct scenario that said, this is what you have to do. The second piece that came into that once they got into high school is that they needed to have their own money. And that was a really good learning. My parents couldn't give me money. So guess what? I had to work. You will find your passion, particularly when you have to, you're forced to have money. It's the way that society works. This may sound super crazy, but it's like, you want to drive that car? Well, you need gas money. How are you going to get gas money? Many parents will say, here's your gas money. The car doesn't move without gas. Gas. So my father taught me very clear: be good at what you do, and know that you have to support yourself.
0: Is fashion and cosmetics still your passion? One
1: hundred percent. Fashion is still retail. The customer. Let I me. Mean, I probably would say it differently. The customer is my passion. I love solving problems for customers, and I love the 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 art of doing that what changed for me in about probably this was a long time ago um, I got a really big promotion and I had 17 women reporting to me that was the biggest career paradigm shift that I had because I was younger than all of them And I, my second passion or as much of a passion because it's how I show up every day is the art of serving the customer and leading. And I have so much more reward today out of leading than I ever thought was possible.
0: But isn't, so I think there are companies that are elite at serving their customers and along the way don't necessarily serve their employees and i would i think there are companies that are elite at serving their employees and are okay with their customers you know not always being satisfied and is do you see those in conflict or do you see them um in harmony together
1: they are absolutely in conflict with many retailers and many leaders, and this is my clarity, they can't be in conflict for me to be successful. So if I can't lead both, then that's that's my vision. My vision is to lead both. And that will determine what I do.
0: Yeah, I love that. What gets in the way for companies that force them to to not be able to lead both
1: um i think it's i think it's exactly what you what you were sort of describing it, it well let me just say this i think in most cases uh many leaders believe that serving the customer is a greater priority than serving Your organization and your team. And so there is very specific conflicts that come through in that, whether that be through core values, whether it be through your comp and Ben, whether it be through your recruiting efforts, um, that, that many believe that you can't do both. And I, I don't, I don't believe that. I think it's possible. And I think, Companies can also go through life cycles of doing it well in harmony. And when there's big customer shifts or right global pandemic created some big shifts as well, I think that forced organizations to think about things differently and the choices that they had to make. Uh, You know, Senate, the laws changing have also put companies in positions to say, how are we gonna think about that policy? Um, So they go through changes. And I think how you, that doesn't mean that you have to respond immediately, but I think that you, again, it's about a track record of defining policy that supports the internal and external communities that you serve.
0: Yeah. What does Harmony look like for you? Uh, What does it sound like? What does it feel like when both employees and, and customers are being served?
1: Well, you know, I will use um, at at kind of the the height of my sort of winning, uh, I guess, art of winning um, at Saks Off Fifth was 2021, and we had really deployed uh, significant changes. We had established our core values. We had modernized the brand we had you know built and earned resources to fund back into our employees from a compensation benefits package perspective and really setting up our 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 DEI so when i think about the number of those elements coming together and we kicked off our core values which i did did the opening of that What was so wonderful and amazing to me is, and I believe that people actually gave me more credit than they should have because I actually think it was the collective group. But I had individuals literally coming up to me to say, never did I think that I could really be my authentic self in the office. And this was... Um, vice versa, adding a thousand brands to our assortment offering to serve customers so that they could dress head to toe in the fashion that they wanted. If you didn't have the thousand brands, they couldn't build their closet, right? In In an authentic way. And, you know, individuals male female wearing heels in the office or skirts didn't matter what their you know their gender perspective was had never in their retail career been able to experience that
0: yeah what do you think of dress codes for companies
1: this is what i'm saying if you if you really believe in fashion When you said, are you passionate about fashion? Certainly. There's nothing better than going to the office and seeing a killer outfit head to toe. And when somebody is walking down the hallway and they feel good, that's what I'm talking about. Dress codes, I don't, I think, what are dress codes? Dress codes are so people get to show up and feel good. Now, is there a general, you know, professional element you know know your environment and audience that that doesn't change but for people really to think about their personal brand um you know i would i would encourage you know i give the the sax office marketing team an incredible amount of credit credit if you look at those campaigns over the last two years you will see authentic self
0: yeah i saw some of the pictures and it was you're right it's sort of diverse it's um Not cookie cutter, uh, all the things that you're talking about. But there's a phrase you keep using over and over again as we start to wind down. I want to make sure I get to it, which is this art of winning. And the word that's sticking out to me is art. And uh can you expand a little bit about why you're putting art next to winning?
1: Yes. So I um, as I said, the I grew up in a family very focused on. Sports And so I, there was never a weekend that we weren't at a tournament or a game. And, you know, when you think about your season, it's a journey. Um, And you think about so many elements that come together for a Super Bowl team or the NCAA, you know, championship. And so when I look at that, there is not you think of a playbook right you could everybody knows the plays right that's why they the scouts go out but if you just had the last super bowl's playbook that doesn't mean you're going to win it comes down to your i always say it comes down to your starting five i'll go back to the basketball court for a minute your starting five your point guard cannot play the post And if you think that those are interchangeable, then you don't understand role clarity and teamwork. The art of winning is that your point guard knows how to throw unbelievable assists and is the most selfless individual on the court. And when they are and if they are, they're going to win a lot of championships because they're going to use their entire team. That's how I think about the art of winning. It's not just a playbook. It's not just X's and O's. It takes a team. It's a marathon. And when those things come together, that builds a winning formula.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can. I, we can talk sports all day. And in business, too, we see bottom lines. We see revenue. We see very much science or data and it is or it isn't and the beauty of sports is you either won or you didn't and we will move on and just this weekend we had the lacrosse national championship and a team won and a team lost we had uh the nba playoffs a team wins a team loses nhl playoffs like we're in in the heart of it and yet like I think winning is real, I think losing is real. I think success is real, I think failure is real. I like I think people are like, "Oh, we don't fail." I'm like, "You yeah, know, you had a failure. It's not that big a deal. Like we all fail, but you did fail at that." Um like we could even talk about you, you know, we talked before recording, you know, a divorce. A divorce it it is a you didn't set out to get divorced when you got married, and I'm sure you're grateful for that experience. It sounds like you have three wonderful children as a result of that partnership and it's a failure, right? Like it, it's okay. Like we all fail um, and you can own it and just say, hey, it didn't work out the way that we wanted it to. Uh, it's still a failure. Um, and by the way, that doesn't mean you fail forever. It's It's a moment and there's other opportunities to win. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately when it comes to my own personal success, which is what is winning and what is losing. And I think the mistake I've made for a lot of years in my career, is that winning is just based on my career. And it's not necessarily based on my relationship with my wife or my kids or my friendships or my parents or my brothers. And I think our society sometimes looks at success as simply based on what we produce in our work and doesn't think about success more holistically. And it's something that I've been really reflecting on this year. is like, how am I defining winning? Because I know what winning looks like when it comes to the end of the year and how much money I make. I, I understand that, but it, that's not it, right? Like, That's not the whole picture of winning. Um, and so when you say the art of winning, what comes up for me is that there is no one definition and it's up to all of us to think about what our definition of winning looks like. And sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking that winning is just science. And sometimes we might have lost this day or this moment, or we might have failed here, but we're not a failure until we're under the ground. And then if you have a spiritual framework, maybe you still think that there's more to go there. So that art of winning is something that I want to chew on and think about, because for me, it's very much an art right now, whereas maybe historically, especially in the sports world, we can look at it as a science.
1: So what I love that you've said and maybe I should have kind of underscored this, it really is the journey for me that doesn't mean 100 percent of the time winning so the art of winning for me and this is the space that that I'm at I'm not my my pitch and my vision is not to be the next CEO of of the largest Fortune 500 company. I actually think it's probably something much smaller than that. Because for me, the art of winning is where I'm at. I have three productive children. To your point, I had 26 years of a a marriage. And the future for me is how do I bring my core values, my proven track record, my leadership skills to have impact? And that's the discovery that I'm in now is what does what organization is that? And it's probably not the biggest one.
0: I think that's a beautiful place for us to wrap. Paige, I'm grateful we connected. I think you absolutely are authentic. You know, you're honest, you're transparent. I don't know about your loyalty. I've just gotten to know you, but hopefully I'll get to test that in the years to come. And uh, just really appreciate your perspective on where you're at right now. And I think so many people First of all, I think we're all in transition all the time. So even though it's very clear for you from a resume standpoint that this is some sort of transitional period, we are in constant transition in our life. Uh, But I think there are moments, whether it's having a kid or getting married or graduating from high school or graduating from college or getting a divorce or whatever these things are, these, these mile markers, so to speak, that often allow us to step back and have some perspective. And I aim to have that perspective, not needing those big mile markers, but to do them regularly, which is a big part of why I fired up a podcast. I think it forces me to, to do this work, which I think helps me be better about where I'm going. Um, so you would definitely have brought that to me. If people want to follow your career and and follow along your journey as you take one more step into whatever direction it might be, where's the best place for people to follow along?
1: I'd say probably the best place is LinkedIn. Um, I haven't been quite as vocal right now, but um, I will. I'm gearing back up to uh, stay connected, and that's the best way to to follow me. Both my, I, I get, I definitely allow some personal and professional to come through on LinkedIn, not just professional.
0: And a lot of times when we do research for the podcast, we, uh, you know, read books, we listen to podcasts, we have. Video interviews. And so, Paige, I I scanned her LinkedIn, and a lot of the research was done off of your LinkedIn. So, I encourage people to follow along there. Um, If people are interested in listening to more of these conversations, you can listen to them at strongskills.co slash podcast. Uh, Kate Luzio is actually the one that introduced the two of us. And so, you can listen to her episode with me as well. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn as well at Brian Levinson A uh, page. This was a blast. Excited to see what's next for you uh, and excited to see what step you take today to continue to explore on your journey.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. It was an awesome time. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. The answer that I used to give people so often about how do you balance it is that children actually gave me the greatest perspective. It forced me to be present when I got home from the office to do to have dinner and to do the bath and the reading. And then would I often go back to work late at night? Yes. And then as they grew up and, and you know, Snapchat and Vine and all these sort of social media, it was like, It gave me so much perspective on the real customer lens.